I am super excited. I love sharing Jesus, and every time I get a chance to speak, really anytime I speak to anybody of Jesus, I get really nervous, and my stomach starts turning, and I used to scare me a little bit, and my mouth would get dry, and all this stuff, and I'd shake, and yes, uh, that'd be awesome, thank you, <laughs> but I learned to flow with it, and just let it all out, instead of like, oh, something wrong, no, there's not anything wrong, I just love Jesus a lot, and he's amazing, and he's loved me a lot, um, wow, I am overwhelmed, I kind of just want to just pray in the spirit, and just hide in with him, but anyway, it can't happen right now, um, so good. Um, thank you, bro. Uh, I'm going to be talking to y'all about pursuit today. And we talk a lot about when we go to church about different things we can do for God. You know, we talk about like, you know, how can we honor him? You know, we talk about, you know, how we can pursue him better. And like, we talk about like how we can know his grace better and how sonship, you know, know uh, you know, how uh, we, we talk about how we are, you know, free from sin and we can pursue him and approach him boldly. We can, we talk about all these things about how we can get closer to him. And the Lord really put on my heart to talk about how he pursues us. Because we don't know, we will never know how we can pursue God until we know how he, how he has pursued us and how he still pursues us today. I think subconsciously sometimes, we don't even realize we do it, but we act and we interact with God as if he's far off. And we talk to him as if he's far off, or we talk to him as if he has to arrive. Well, if you've accepted Jesus, his home is inside of you. So he's as close as he possibly can get. It's just a matter of you diving into that. It's a matter of you just soaking in that. And so with that, I want to talk about how he has pursued us to the point of getting inside of us. And like, well, how he pursues us in a matter of, let me rephrase this. I want to talk to us, talk today about how he pursues us because I feel like our pursuit should be a reflection of how he pursues us. Because if our pursuit looks anything different than how he pursues us, then we need to go to him and ask him and change that because he only wants us to pursue him as he pursues us. You know, Jesus practices what he preaches. He said, treat others as you want to be treated. He's the same way. He wants us to interact with him the way he interacts with us. So with that, pull up my notes here. I have only the second time I preached on a Sunday. So this is like super cool for me. Most of the time I only preach to youth groups. <laughs> and most of the time, like I said about the excited thing, it's so caught up in excitement. I say my message in different ways sometimes. I look at my notes, I'm like, oh wait, I'm done. <laughs> I'm gonna look at my notes. Um, okay, so Jesus, his pursuit of our heart. Who is pursuing us? It is so important that we know who is pursuing us. My girlfriend is here today. Her name is Bliss. She's amazing. And if I had a perception of her pursuit of me in a wrong way, in a way that she's going to hurt me, or in a way that she's going to reject me, or if I have a perception of her that she's going to pursue me and then leave me abandoned, I, that will restrict her from, I will restrict her from pursuing me, and I will hide myself and draw myself back from her pursuit of me because of my perception of how she is pursuing me, uh, my perception of who she is. And so my perception of who she is is so important and so key because if I perceive her in any way that isn't okay, then that's going to hinder her pursuit of me and hinder how I receive her love. And so if we have any perception of God that isn't true and that isn't 
right and isn't isn't really how he pursues us or uh, or isn't who he is, then that keeps us and hinders us from receiving his love. Because if we don't allow God to pursue us, we will then we'll be in a very dry spot. I've been in dry places, and most when it comes to it, it's not because of my sin issue, it's not because of this or that, it's because I've quit allowing him to love me. That is the place of life, when we allow him to love. Out of him loving us, from that place, everything flows. So, with that, I want, my phone's going to keep going off on me. Um, so, who's pursuing us? First John 4 is where I'm going to be, my first part of my message. First John 4, uh, 16 through 17. And it says, So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Okay, so I want to start with the second line of that verse. It says, God is love. So, what I want us to do, a lot of us, I figure, were raised in church or raised around people that, you know, tell us about God. Whatever perception you have of God, I want you to lay at the feet of Jesus right now. Everything. Even if it's the right perception, I want you to lay at the feet of Jesus. And I want you just to receive this with open heart, with an open heart, with an empty heart, just being filled. Just lay everything you know about God at the feet of him right now. And just um, receive what I'm about to give you. God is love. Well, what is love? What does love look like? 1 Corinthians 13 is love expressed. Okay. See, I feel like sometimes we uh, we we act in a way that God wants us to just please Him. We God wants us to just do things for Him, and we forget that He just wants us to love Him. And we get caught up in doing things for Him. We forget to love Him sometimes, and we do things without Him. But, you know, we can, you can prophesy and 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 be moving in a gifting, and you know, go heal the sick, and you know, not be in a love relationship with Jesus. And what I found there's a big difference between loving someone and being in love with someone. I love Jesus and I do things for him. But I can love Jesus and do things for him and not be in love with him. Uh-huh. Jesus wants us to be in love with him. Whenever I, I can say, I, I love every random person on the street, but I'm not in love with them. I don't have their number and I don't call them up you know, randomly like I do my girlfriend and be like, hey, what are you doing right now? That doesn't happen. I don't pursue them the way that I pursue her. I pursue her differently because I'm in love with her. Well, God is in love with you. Okay, so if we, well, I know my mind goes blank sometimes. Okay, love expressed. We must be in love with God, and we must know he's in love with us. Who is God? God is patient. God is kind. God is gentle. God is self-controlled. God rejoices only in the truth. God keeps no record of wrong, ever. No record of wrong. Any wrong you did 10 minutes before you came to church, you're sitting before him spotless and blameless right now because he keeps no record of your wrong. And I am long-winded, so I'm going to go through this. I only have a few minutes. So with that, um, God is good all the time. All the time he's good. Everything he does is good. Everything. No matter what he does, he's good. And that's hard for us to grasp sometimes because we have a lot of questions. That's okay. He's not afraid of your questions. Um, and that's another thing about love. Love is intimate. Intimate, like God wants to look inside of you. That's who God is. He's love. He wants to look inside. He wants to know the depths of your heart. So we, feel, we get so caught up in doing things for God and feel like we need to, we feel like knowing God is like 
you know, ask him how he can become better. And, but really, God is love. And so that means he's like, hey, what's on your heart today? What are you feeling? What do you feel about that? And the same way, he wants us to interact with him. And the same way, hey, God, what do you feel about that? God is very intimate. He's very emotional. God has emotions. God, gets, God cries. Jesus, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. God has emotions. He laughs. God has laughed at me at times. Not making fun of me, but he's laughed at me because I do silly things sometimes. Not simple silly things, but silly things I can tell you after service. You want to ask me some stories. <laughs> anyway, God has a sense of humor. Who created humor? God. Who created, you know, all this. God created it all. All came from him. The word says that all things were made through him and by him, and nothing was made without him. So that means all love that we carry for a person, all emotions that we carry for people that we love came from God. That means God feels that about you. So God is love. Love, God is love expressed. Um, so with that, we have a perception. That is a perception we need to carry of who is pursuing us. Love is pursuing you. Perfect love. The person. He's not just this far off being. He's a person. Jesus became a man. We interact with a man. We interact with a person. His spirit lives inside of us to lead us into this person, to lead us into all truth. We are interacting with a person when you interact with Jesus. You're not interacting with a far off being. That's, that's mystical and unknown. He is, he is unknown in many ways. We don't know all of his ways, but he is a person, and he has emotions and desires, and he desires you. Um, so that's really changed my whole pursuit of God, is knowing that he's, I'm interacting with a real person, and he had talked to him as if he's that. It's like, Jesus, whoa, what's on your mind right now? And I actually conversate with him. Um, so... Let's see. I assume time for Okay, how does he act? As Seth talked about that. Um, okay, he's been pursuing you from the beginning, guys. He didn't just wake up, like God didn't just think of one day of pursuing you. The word says that you were predestined before him to be spotless and blameless. The word says that he knew the plan he had for you before you were born in your mother's womb. It said he knew you before the foundation of the world. The way I see it, it's like, it's like a simplest form. God speaks to me a lot in like examples and pictures. It's like whenever you're pregnant, when a woman's pregnant, and the wife and husband talk about like what they can do with their child, and they dream together about what their child's life can be like, and they start planning like, oh, you play baseball, you can be an artist, what if he's this, what if he's that? And God designed you and fashioned you, and he's like, oh, they're going to do this, they're going to do this. And he predestined you for good works. He set aside your own unique good works that only you can do, that he had for you to do. He's like, my child's going to do this, this, and this. So, <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> he's been pursuing you from the beginning, and, he, and, and he's like, oh, I'm going to make him this. Okay, well, Adam and Eve sinned. What did God do when they sinned? He pursued them. Hey, where are you at? Why are you hiding? I want to be with you. Why are you drawing back from me? The Israelites, every time, went back and got him. Every time. Went back, hey, I love you. You're my beloved. You're going to be my wife one day. You're going to call me husband. Okay, well, Jesus went to the cross. Why are you yet a sinner? Jesus died as you, not just for you. He literally took your place. He pursued you in the cross. The cross is the perfect example of your pursuit. The cross is not just a revelation of your sin. It's a revelation of your worth to God. Come on, guys. We measure the things that they, we measure the worth of things by how much they cost. Jesus paid a high cost for you. So how much is your worth? 
He went through everything for us. How much is our worth? And we said, condemnation is illegal. <laughs> and we settle for fear of failure. We settle for condemnation. God's like, I love you. You were the joy set before me. I wanted to go through that. Why? Because I can have, I get you. I get one moment with you behind the veil. I get one moment of your glance on me. I get one moment of you expressing your heart to me. See, God didn't get that before the cross. He got the heart expressed, but he couldn't have intimacy. And now he can. And, you know, we can sit and interact with God out of fear and, and condemnation. Moses did that. You know, and the glory was fading. And we experienced, we live, but whenever you're interacting with God based off encounter and based off what you, what you encounter from God is based off what you experience at church, it becomes about encounter. It doesn't become about relationship. And so when you leave, that, that faith, it leaves. And so the rest of the week, you're looking for that next encounter instead of living in a relationship. And Jesus is like, hey, I want every second. I want every breath. That's what he paid for. And that's how he, that's what he wants from you. But you, you know, I lived that life. I lived from encounter to encounter without even realizing it. And the rest of the week would suck. I'd be depressed. I'd be insecure. I'd be fearful. And God's like, hey, why don't you do every second with me? Every second, let me just love on you. It's so much better when you live behind the veil instead of trying to get there. He puts you there. He's seated in heaven, so you're seated in heaven. You're in the closest, you're in the close presence of God. Um, I'm finished. Um, let's see. <laughs> okay, before we have a ministry for Jesus, we must have one to Jesus. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so he pursued you. Pursue him, but how? Our pursuit is to be a response to his of us. That's how he intended it. Your pursuit should only reflect how he has pursued you. Your, our pursuit of God should only be a response. You were created to live in response. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. We heal because he's already paid for it. Like, we heal the sick because he's already paid for it. It's a response. Okay, Jesus, you did that. I'm going to do this. Jesus, you love me. You gave your life for me, so I give my life for you. You created me to love you, so I'm going to love you. It's all about response. That's our pursuit. That's the best pursuit. The best pursuit you can give God is to say yes. Just say yes. A little kid, what's the biggest thing they can do to move your heart? It's by letting you love them. It's like, I know my dad, my little brother, he's like, come here, let me just love you. Some of the little brother doesn't want that. But he's like, let me love you. The biggest thing that moves my dad's heart, he knows my little brother's love is small, and, 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 and so the adult, it isn't that big, but it's significant to him because my brother lets him love him. Does that make sense? You're, the biggest, what moves God's heart most is when you say yes, because you can be doing things for God and not be saying yes to his affection. God would rather you just say yes. Choosing not to sin has not caused me to stop sinning, but realizing how much he loves me has. Without his love, you're only trying to be your own savior. We must, that is our pursuit of him, is by letting him love us. Because then we live in response. See, what's caused me to live more for God, and I'm wrapping up because I know like, I'm not the only one speaking today. Um, the only one, what's, for me, my life, it hasn't been because of my discipline that I've stopped sinning. Because I've realized how much he's loved me. Really, my encounter with him. We are called to live in a constant encounter with God. That's what causes you not to sin. The word says, as you abide in God, you will not continue to sin. It doesn't say, stop sinning and abide in God. It says, hey, abide in me, and you won't want that anymore. True. Abide in me. Once you taste and see that I'm good, 
You don't want that junk anymore. Right. You'll see that that perversion is a, is a perversion of what I intended. And you, you'll see that, that that gossip is that your words are worth more than that. Your words are so powerful. You only want to speak life. Yeah. As you encounter me, as you see how I do it, it'll be a reflection, a response of how I love you. See, Jesus only did as he saw the Father do. He only loved us as, he, as the Father loved him, he loved us. As Jesus loves us, we love the world. That's how it was intended. So, the greatest thing you can do for God is to say yes to his love. That is how you pursue his heart, and that's what moves him. This requires surrender. Miss Brooke is going to bring an amazing message. And just keep in mind what I, what I spoke to you, and let Miss Brooke wreck your heart with Jesus' love. All right, so it does require surrender, but I feel like before I can really talk about surrender, we need to understand exactly what surrender is. So I looked up what it means, because that's what I like to do, and it means to, um, surrender means to yield to the power, control, or possession of another upon compulsion or demand. It also means to give up completely, in special, especially in favor of someone. Now, I also found a quote, and I loved it, and it kind of goes with what I'm about to speak about. It says, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And that just astounds me and stumps me that, you know, we, we think about what Jesus did for us, and it's amazing, and I mean, Taylor just explained it wonderfully, but if he gave all of that for us, we are called to do exactly what he did back to him. Does that make sense? So I'm going to start with a very easy verse that I'm sure everyone knows, John 3:16. Um, I'm going to say it, even though I'm sure you guys can all repeat it to me. Um, so it says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, when Easter came, I just kept hearing the Lord tell me that verse over and over. And I was like, God, I know that verse. You don't have to keep telling me. Like, yes, I know. You love the world. You sent Jesus. You died. I get it. But he kept, every time I would say, For God to love the world, I would stop. And I would just I would be overwhelmed by the love of God, not just the sacrifice Jesus made, but the sacrifice that God made for us. He surrendered his one and only son. I'm sure a lot of you have kids. I don't. But I can imagine what it's like to have a child and to give that child, the only one that I have, to die. But it's because it required surrender. And when you have surrender, you are... Um, I forgot what I was saying. Um, when you surrender something, you are saying you want something else more. And when... God surrendered Jesus. He's saying that he wanted us more, kind of like what Taylor was just saying. And that just overwhelmed me. God gave up his one and only son because he, because he wanted something else more, and that was us. He wanted us more than he wanted anything else. He wanted to just, like Taylor was saying, just spend a second with us. That's all his heart longs for. Now, when I think about surrender, I also, there's another verse. Actually, it's a chapter. And it always comes to my mind. It's Genesis 22, and it's when Abraham gives up Isaac. And um, this has literally been what I, the Lord has told me since I got saved. It's always been about surrender, at least in my walk. I don't know about you guys. So I'm going to read Genesis 22. I'm sure you guys already know it. And it's going to be long, but it doesn't hurt for you guys to get the word in you. I mean, it's Sunday, right? Good. Just kidding. Um, okay, so here we go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. 
The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out, set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here. Um, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood up for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders, while he himself carried the fire and the knife, as the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son, Abraham answered. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son, Isaac, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the, the horns of the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it for the burnt offering and placed it in place of his son. Abraham named, named the place which the Lord means, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people will use this name as a proverb, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and, and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the se seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Thank you for sticking with me for that. Okay, so now I'm just going to kind of break it down real quick because um, there's so much, obviously, from this chapter. So in verse 2, it's talking about when God first tells him to go sacrifice his son. And when God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, he, this, he knows that this is his only way to fulfill the promise God had given him. This was his only way. And from a worldly standpoint, I just see it as like, okay, well, if I give up my son, how are you going to fulfill this promise? It's, it's impossible because this is my only heir. How are you going to make me a father of many nations if I don't even have a son that I'm a father to? Um, but when God asked, and also, sorry, when God asked Abraham to sacrifice um, Isaac, he did it immediately. It says he woke up early the next morning. He didn't wait till he just got up. He didn't push it off for as long as he could. He woke up as soon as he could leave for his journey. And that is what amazes me. And many times when God asks us to surrender something or do something, we just say, uh, I'll do it later. It's okay. Like, I don't have to do that right now, right? It's okay. I, if I do it later, it's still the same. No, Abraham saw the importance of it, and he did it immediately. And then in verse 5, I find it so interesting that Abraham told his men that we will be back. If he knew that he was sacrificing Isaac, why wouldn't he have said, I will be back? He, obviously, Abraham's a father of faith, right? So he probably had a lot of faith that God was going to do something awesome. But to me, it was just astounding that Abraham would say, we will be back. He knew. He trusted God. And surrender um, requires full trust in God. Abraham displayed this. Abraham did this. He had full trust in God. Um, then... 
going on to the very end, after Abraham had already um, shown that he was willing to sacrifice Isaac, um, God, God told him that, or God exalted him, or Jesus exalted him for not holding back for his promise. Many times God gives us thing and he, things and he promises them to us, but then he requires them back. You know, a lot, um, what am I saying? Okay, hold on. Okay, so many times God will require things of us, and He, uh, and they're things that He's already promised us, and we're like, God, maybe it's a ministry, maybe it's your job, maybe it's a relationship, and then you're like, but God, I don't understand. You told me this; it's true. You promised it to me, but Abraham, he had Isaac, which was his promise, and he didn't care. He trusted God. He wanted God so much more. Like I said before, that when you surrender something, you're saying you want something so much more. Well, when Abraham surrendered Isaac, he was saying that he wanted God so much more. He didn't care about this promise. This promise didn't, it meant something to him, but it didn't mean nearly as much as his relationship with God meant to him. And then when you, when you surrender, you have a choice. You can always not surrender. I'm sure there's many times that you've been, the Lord has asked you to do something. I know in my life, the Lord, I'm sure he's asked me to do something. I've been like, oh, well, that's all right. I'll do that later. But that's not... Um, that's our choice. We can choose to withhold something from him. We don't have to give him everything. And that's the freedom that we have in Christ. But if you want him, you're going to give up everything for him, just like Jesus did. In verse 16, it says that, because you have obeyed and have not withheld even your only son from me. Um, and that word withheld means restrain or to keep to oneself or hold back. When I hear those words, I just think of walls going up. When you hold back from the Lord, when you don't surrender what he's required for you to surrender, then you are, you are putting a strain between your relationship with the Lord. Like Taylor said, he doesn't stop pursuing you. He's always going to pursue you. He's always going to come after you. He always has. He always will. But if you choose, you have a choice to also pursue him. You have a, cho a choice to also surrender everything and go after him. And if you don't, then... He's still going to pursue you, but you're putting a you're putting up walls between your relationship with him, and that's your that's that's like I said, that's your choice. Um, and like I said, um, actually, I don't want to say that again. Um, when you surrender something, you're leaving room for something else. So, with Abraham, he surrendered Isaac, but God gave him right back. With with God, he surrendered Jesus. And Jesus received us. I mean, God received us in return. Jesus but So when you're surrendering something, it's not because God just wants everything from you and he wants you to be miserable. No, he wants the best life for you. He knows exactly what you need. He knows what is best for you. So he is requiring these things so that he can make way and room for new and better things. And I'm just going to kind of wrap this up because I spoke about a lot and it was kind of scattered. But So surrender isn't just an action. It's a condition of the heart. Surrender, more than anything, reveals our heart towards the Lord. With Abraham, when God saw his willingness to surrender Isaac, God saw Abraham's yielded heart. He saw not just, it says, now I know that you fear me. It's not saying, now I know that you um, are willing to sacrifice your son. True, but he sees the condition of our heart and everything that we do. So if you're willing to surrender everything, he's going to say, I see your effort. I see what you're doing here. A lot of times he's going to say, here, take this, here, take this, here, take this. And he's giving you good things, things that are so much better than what you had before. Also, surrender isn't a one-time choice, it's a lifestyle. 
As Christians, we're called to live like Jesus, correct? Just making sure we're on the same page here. So if we're called to live like Jesus, Jesus only did what he saw his father do, and Jesus only said what he heard his father speaking. He was completely surrendered to the will of God, which is what we're called to do. We're called to be completely surrendered to God. We're not called to take on our own will. We're called to take on his will. We're called to take on his kingdom, correct? So whenever we are completely surrendered to the Lord, it's going to be a lifestyle. It's not just a, okay, God, I'll give you this thing right now. Here you go. Okay, I'm done. Good. No, it's every day you have to choose. Okay, Lord, I want you so much more than I want this right now. Mm-hmm. There's every day there's going to be something that's going to come at you. The world is full of things. But you have to choose every day. Lord, I want you so much more than I want this distraction. I want you so much more than this thing that could be good for me, but it may be taking my time away from you. And then the last thing. Surrender puts you in a position to receive. I kind of see it as like a garage sale. I'm sure a lot of you have seen garage sales or been to garage sales. Um, and you have them so that you can get rid of the things you don't need so that you can make way for the things that you do need. So that's kind of what it is when you surrender. You're saying, okay, Lord, I know you're requiring these things of me because they're old and they're, they're not good. I don't need them anymore. So here you can take it. And now you're leaving room for the Lord to bring newer and better things into your life, things that you need, things that are going to prosper, things that are going to help your relationship with him. Good. Like I said, surrender puts you in a position to receive. Now Albert will come. All right, good luck. Um, last time I was speaking or at my old church, I ended up talking about Harry Potter. It just came out at random. No, not even my notes. It is so totally random. But turn with me to Mark chapter 5, verse 25. How many of you love the Word of God? I love the Bible. You know, when God, when I was asking, okay, God, what do you want me to share? What do you want me to, what do you want me to speak on? What is um, Pastor Josh, Josh asked us to just share what we felt for for Overflow Church, and he brought me to this passage, and I was like, God, this is the weirdest passage to speak to them on. <laughs> so let's go ahead and um, read a little bit real quick. And a woman had, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for twelve years. Sorry, I'm getting weird. So a woman who had hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, and had spent all that she had. And she was not helped at all, but rather she had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, Jesus, she came up to the crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought in her heart, if I just touch his garment, I shall get well. And immediately the blood of the flow of blood was dried up, and, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power, that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You see, this woman, she had a, had a, a she was bleeding for 12 years. And if you know anything about the um, Levitical law, this woman was considered unclean. So she couldn't be touched because she was considered unclean. She was an outcast. Anybody who touched her was considered unclean. Anything that she touched was considered unclean. So imagine living 12 years in this kind of, kind of condition where, where you're not feeling that, those hugs. You're not getting people to, to um, just be around you for fear of being unclean. And it's just, 
imagine how lonely that, that was. And she tried everything. She, her loneliness took her to a place of desperation where she was trying every physician. She was trying every cure. She was trying to do whatever it was. But nothing was working. And it only made things worse. And that, I, when, I, when I just picture that, I just picture her going to this next place, just hoping and believing, you know, like maybe this time, maybe this time it'll work. But it only <clears throat> to come back to the disappointment of, you know, it didn't work this time. And for 12 years that, hurt, <clears throat> that had happened. But then she heard about Jesus, and she heard about all the miracles that was happening. So I can, I can picture her just hearing this day in and day out, and seeing him, seeing him doing the miracles, crossing paths. And then this one time, she comes, and she realizes that this is my moment. This is when Jesus, when it says multitudes, it means that Jesus was talking to thousands of people. That's the that's the Greek word <clears throat> used in there. And so I just picture this lady standing back in the distance, and there's thousands of people surrounding Jesus, and she's like, this is my moment. She's like, this is the time. If I just touch him, I don't even need to talk to him. He doesn't even need to know that I'm there. But if I just, if I just get a little bit of him, then I know that I'll be healed. And so what she did was she did that. She pressed through the crowd. And you know what? Sometimes when you're, when you're pursuing God and when you're surrendering to God, you're going to do the... You're gonna, you have to put yourself in a position to receive. You have to, to go in. She just didn't stand right there like, oh, if I just think about him, he'll, maybe if he'll glance at me, then, then I'll be healed. But no, she had to put her faith into action. And she went in, and she touched him. And it says immediately she was healed. Immediately. doesn't mean, And she knew that she was healed. And at that moment, Jesus also realized that. that um, it says immediately she was, immediately the blood, the flow of blood stopped. And immediately, Jesus understood that the power had gone out. So Jesus knew that, that something had happened, and so he was trying to figure out. Because sometimes God will do something in your life. God will do a healing. He'll speak to you. And, and you know it's from God, but then the enemy is going to come and try to snatch it away from you. And God wanted to confirm in her life right at that moment that, woman, you are healed. And But <clears throat> it wasn't... He did, We'll go later, but he wanted to confirm in her that, like, the enemy's going to try to say that that's fake, that the blood didn't stop him, that maybe just, this is just for a moment, but I'm here to tell you that I did heal you, that you are healed, and that you are whole. Um, in the Bible, in the Greek, there's four, use, four words for the um, word healing. Um, the first word, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it well. Um, you can kind of, there are a few. You can kind of see how this one, we kind of get our word therapy for this. And this is the word, um, like, healed medically. So she, when she said that at the beginning, that um, she had tried many physicians. So when she tried many physicians, she was looking for, like, a medical healing, for a therapy, for something, that kind of healing. And then she said um, um, later on, and in verse 29, it says that immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she knew that, or, and she felt in her body, <clears throat> body that she was healed of her affliction. So that means that she knew that she was cured and restored. So there's two different ways, two different ones. And then later on, when Jesus comes up to her, and and finds out there's huggies, which I never thought that huggies would be in the Bible. <clears throat> but the, he said, um, Jesus said, daughter. Your faith has made you huggies, which just means like she was whole and she was restored. So it's like it took him from different levels. She was looking for medical healing, and then she knew that she was, she um, 
that she had been cured. And then God, or Jesus said that, woman, you are whole. And then he said, daughter, your faith has made you hug you. Go in peace and you will be healed of your affliction. And right there he uses the word sozo. So he goes from even taking to another level from woman, you are made whole and you're restored to woman, you are saved. Woman, you are healed and you are delivered. Woman, you have those, those times of loneliness that you, you've even questioned, like, why do I even exist because I'm so alone by myself? You have been healed of that. You've been saved. I have delivered you from everything, from all your past, from all that bitterness, because this is something that she didn't have any control over. And so um, God just knew that. He knew that she just needed this deliverance. And if you, um, you, I wrote down, you may have faith for one thing, but God does even better. And at this moment, she knew that she could be hugged. At this moment, she knew that she could start a family. At this moment, she knew that her whole entire life would change, that those 12 years of pain was all done and completely different. And God wants to do that in your life, too. It doesn't matter what you're... You may be looking for a physical healing. You may be looking for emotional healing. You may be looking for something, but God wants to do that in you. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you well. So going into the, <clears throat> the position of... Jesus only uses the word daughter, refers to a woman daughter a couple times, and this is one of the times. And he is placing her in a position from, from um, just a random bystander, just like, woman, you're healed to daughter. He placed her in the position of, you are my child, and you are, you are loved, and I did this because you are my child. And so, don't read, when you read the Bible, don't read past things like that too quickly, because you're going to miss the importance of it. And so you might be like this woman, there may be something inside of you that's dying, it may also be a dream or something that you're longing for. Um, <clears throat> and you've tried everything. You've tried to do things that would, um, I don't know, one of the things for me, I'm kind of a little neurotic, and I didn't realize that it was a part of me growing up and some, I don't even need to go there. <laughs> it just, we always think of like numbing out as like drugs and alcohol, but sometimes it could be work. Sometimes for me, is always cleaning, and I didn't realize that. And then when I finally realized it, God was able to to break, to just reveal Himself that there were certain times that I I was cleaning my house one time and I was just going a little too insane, and I just sat on the stairs as, that I was cleaning. And I'm like, okay, God, why am I doing this? And so sometimes you need to take a moment and just say, okay, God, why, why am I doing this? And just ask Him to to reveal it to you, and He will reveal it to you. And then um, go with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. There's another, um, I just love the gospel and just like what Jesus does about healing and like Taylor said, your mouth does get dry. <laughs> but you have to realize the importance of position. This, um, this one right here is the blind Bartimaeus. And they came to Jericho, and he, as he was going out from Jericho with his disciples, and a great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he had heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. And they took him, <clears throat> they took him to Jesus. Uh, take courage, arise, he's calling you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And at, in answering, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said, go, your, 
Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following, <clears throat> following him on the road. So you, right here we have the picture of, there's this blind beggar, he's on the side of the road, and he's saying he knows this is Jesus, the son of David, the one that was written in, in the Bible and the, in the Old Testament. So he's like, Jesus, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are just saying, shut up, you know, you're just, you're bothering him. I don't know if there's, what exactly they're saying, but they're just, it says that they're certainly telling him. So the more they tell him, the louder he gets. Sometimes you have to get louder than the enemy. You're going to, you you know what Jesus is saying. You know who Jesus is, but the enemy is going to try to tell you in, you know, you never know what it could be. He may, you know, put a flat tire in your car. He may, you may get a ticket driving on the road. It may be different things that the enemy is going to try to come and try to attack you, but you have to get it even louder than than, than the enemy, and he has to know that you're louder. <clears throat> and so when Jesus says, call, call him here, um, so they bring him, right. and Jesus said, stop and call him here. And, and so they go and say, they're like, hey, dude, Jesus is calling you. So what it says is, and casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. The cloak in the in the New Testament or in in the Bible days that meant that was his that was his government governmental right that he was able to beg. That's kind of like the welfare back in the time they were they were issued a cloak. And so when he threw the cloak away, it was saying like I am no longer a beggar anymore because I have faith because I know Jesus is going to heal me. And so he sometimes you have to throw away your cloak. What is your cloak? You have to just, you have to define that and say okay God. I am getting rid of this. And it says, <clears throat> he threw away his cloak and he jumped up. So sometimes, like Brooke said, you have to immediately do it. If you wait and you think about it a little bit too longer, seeds are going to get planted or you're like, eh, you know, I, I'll just do it tomorrow. Or maybe he'll pass by and, you know, I might get my healing. But no, he jumped up and he went to Jesus. So you have to throw away your cloak. You have to jump up, jump up, do something immediately and go to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now that's kind of a, not a dumb question, but that's a random question. You're standing in front of a blind person. What do you want me to do for you? But sometimes Jesus will ask you that because you have to know what you want him to do for you. He, the blind beggar could have been like, you know what, Jesus, this, this begging thing is, this gig, I don't really like it. Could you just, you know, give me a little extra money and you know, I'll be good to go? But no, <clears throat> Bartimaeus, could have had anything that he wanted, and he knew exactly that he wanted God to take away. He wanted to be able to see again. Um, and I think sometimes God is showing me that. Sometimes when he asks for us what he wants to do in us, what we want from him, we ask for the safe thing. We ask, we may be having, we may have somebody in our family that's sick, and instead of asking for the complete healing, we ask God help them recover quickly, or God let this let this pass by, or you know take away the fever and you know like maybe in a couple of days they'll be healed. But be bold and be like Bartimaeus and say, I want to see. I don't want to just gradually say I want to see now. Well, he didn't say that, but you know what I mean. You have to be bold, and when God gives you this option, and when God get, when God is get, asking you this, just do that. Just just. Know exactly what you're asking for, and then, it, um, which in, what's interesting is that it says, "I want to see again." So this means that Bartimaeus had a, the ability to see before, 
that for some reason somewhere down along somewhere along the line that he lost his sight. And there may be some of you out there that you may have you may God may have given you a vision, God may have given you dreams, but you've lost sight of it because of whatever circumstance or you just, you know, you get focused and you your life gets redirected in a different way. And it, it may not be a bad thing that your life is redirected in another way, but God wants to give you your sight back. He wants you to to see the things that you used to see and dream the things that you used to dream. And so I want um, these these stories and everything that we've talked about. It it's called there's a call to action with that. And so I want you guys to stand up with me, and we're just going to take a little bit of time to to press into God and just ask God, okay, God, what are those things that I need to surrender. God, I need a, I want to pursue you. God, I want to, to regain the vision. I want to see healing. I want to see something in my life. I want to see something in my family life.